The following sermon is from Redemption Bible Church of New Braunfels, where we are proclaiming the authority of God's Word without apology in order to fulfill the Great Commission in the spirit of the Great Commandment. Amen. Amen. All right, Cade. Well, Pastor Blair, thank you very much. I want to I thank you for this opportunity in, uh, in RBC. Good morning. And thank you as well for the opportunity to come here and to stand in front of you today uh, and to lead you in, uh, in what God's Word has for us. So... Today's sermon is all about hope, and uh, so as I was preparing for the sermon today, I started thinking, you know, kind of what is hope, what does that mean, and, uh, and you know, I thought as we go around this room, we're probably going to get a lot of different definitions of what hope is and how it plays out in our lives, and I started thinking about culture in general and, and how many different versions of hope and applications of hope would I get, so I did what every great scholar and theologian does. I googled it. And, uh, and so I came up with a, a few things that just kind of gives us a general cross-section of what our culture seems to think hope is. And so we're going to look at those. So if we can look at number one here, keep hope alive. Okay, that sounds like a good idea. Um, I don't know that we can really tell a whole lot about what hope is or what it means, uh, but it's, you know, a, a nice saying to have. Let's look at number two. Hope changes everything. Well, that's, that is good news. I don't know if it changes everything, but the point here is that it's, there's not a lot of content here. Let's go to the next one. All right. Once you choose hope, anything is possible. And I don't know if you can read that, but Christopher Reeve said that. So that, that's Superman. That's the man of steel. There can't, there's not anything wrong here. But again, there's, there's just not a lot of, of substance to this. Let's go to the final one. Oh, here's a definition. See the, the colon there? Hope. Believing things can change. Okay, well, I, I believe things can change, so I guess I have hope. But my point here is that we want to look at these things and we want to see kind of the, the weak version of hope that the world has. And, and so what we want to do next is let's look at what the Word of God would have us know about hope. So let's turn, please, in those Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And if you haven't been to, uh, to RBC before, welcome. And uh, we do typically preach um, verse by verse through a book of the Bible. There are occasionally times when uh, you... Uh, break away from the regular meal of expositional sequential preaching to, to have uh, topical sermons as, as vitamins to supplement that. But typically, we're going to walk our way through, um, through a book of Scripture um, one chunk at a time. So we're going to do that today. We're in verse 13 through 18. And I'll read this for us. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, 
who are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. All right. So there's a couple of things here that we're going to do before, before we really dive in, and, and we're going to deal with some terms. So in a little historical context, too, I don't know if you remember last week when Pastor Blair was preaching, he was kind of laying out what the church in Thessalonica was going through. They were under great persecution, and there was also some confusion about uh, whether some had missed uh, the Lord's return, you know, that those that had died, had they missed out on an opportunity to see Jesus return. And there were also those that were just kind of sitting on their hands. They didn't want to work with their hands, but they were sitting on their hands just waiting uh, for Christ to return. And so they were experiencing persecution while expecting Christ's return, and there was great confusion uh, about what had happened to those who died before the return of Christ. Paul clears up the confusion. Let's look at verse 13. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep. So what we see here is that Paul first desires us to know, not to be uninformed, not to think or to feel, not to suppose, but to know about those who are asleep. Another thing we see here is that he's addressing the brothers. Now, the intent here isn't men only, and so I'm going to stop for a moment, and I think you know that, but you know, can we all agree that we, we live in a time where there's a lot of confusion and focus on uh, gender stuff. And so just want to take a moment to say that who he's addressing here is not men only. There are some people that would say, well, doesn't the Bible's you know, patriarchal and it just, it's only talking about men and it has nothing for women. That's not at all what's meant here. It's just masculine language. It's masculine language that's used to identify those that are inside the family. So this includes the sisters as well. It's identifying Christians. So he's not speaking to all that sleep, but he's speaking about Christians who sleep. And notice that he uses the word asleep. He doesn't say dead. And you might have a translation that says dead, and, and, and that's fine. But I would, I would propose that there's something missed if your translation just says dead and doesn't use uh, the translation asleep. You see, what Paul's doing here is he's using a euphemism. It's a, a word that's substituted for a term that we consider maybe too harsh or uncouth. Um, so let me give you a couple examples. Do you know what I mean if I said he got let go? Right? Maybe you've been let go. So I've been let go. I might get let go today. I don't know. <laughs> it's a nice way of, of saying fired, right? So what if I said she's expecting. You know what I mean? And what if, what if I said the birds and the bees? I think you get that one, right? Sorry, Blair. So you see what Paul's doing here is that he's using a, he's using a euphemism, this word asleep, but it's not, it's not just a euphemism. What Paul's also doing in the second layer of this is that He's in one word, in a single word, he's highlighting the temporary nature of the fallen body. He's saying that this death is not permanent for the believer. Now, make no mistake, his use of sleep as death pertains only to the body. When it comes to the soul, 
Think about other passages of Scripture. Think about 2 Corinthians 5.8. We would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. And what did Jesus tell the repentant thief? Today you will be with me in paradise. He didn't say tomorrow or next week or when I come back. He said today. The body sleeps, but the soul is alive. And with the one that we've so longed to see, Christ. And with knowing this comes hope. Look at verse 13 again. And let's continue with the second half of verse 13. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. Hope is the banner that flies over today's passage. And more specifically, God's word is showing us that what you hope for shapes what you live for. Let's talk further about hope for a moment. Hope's a word that's been thrown around so much it, it might begin to lose some of its meaning. We have politicians who use hope as a campaign slogan. Pop culture would have us believe that hope is merely being optimistic or maintaining a positive attitude. The world waters down hope because it does not know true hope. Let's look further at what the Bible would have us know about hope. Verse 14. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again... Even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. In this verse, see how we hope. Perhaps you've said to yourself on some occasion, I should hope. The Bible tells me to hope. Perhaps you've got a, a t-shirt, coffee mug, refrigerator magnet that says hope anchors the soul. And, and that's great. I mean, that's right out of Hebrews 6. That's a wonderful thing, but... But how do I do it? How do I hope? Well, look at verse 14 again. For since we believe... Now let's stop there. Believe. We believe the things that God says are true. We believe that, that this book that we have, it's like no other. It's infallible, inerrant, sufficient, and relevant. Believing is so fundamental to hope that without true belief, there is no hope. Believing is not the same thing as acknowledgement. It's not recording another fact onto the hard drive of your mind. Believing is faith. It's full trust. It's the whole heart, the very center of our core, clinging to the truths of Scripture, even when our minds struggle to understand. Belief shapes what you hope for, and hope shapes what you live for. So what do you believe? Let's look again at verse 14. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. Notice, will bring. God will bring with him. So take note that God wants us to expect him to do what he says he will do. A forward future expectation is essential in knowing how to hope. We are to be a loving people, a holy people, who live lives so contagious that the outside world longs to catch the hope that's infected us. This kind of hope, this kind of contagious life, can only be accomplished when we live in daily expectation that God's will be done, that his purpose be accomplished through Jesus Christ and that he will see us through anything that the world can throw at us. So how do I hope? Expect. What are you expecting? So we're believing and expecting. This is how. 
But now we turn to the object of our hope. What do I hope for? Back to verse 14. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, you see, Paul reminds us that our hope is in the gospel, the good news, that we a people who once denied God, ignored God, rejected God, hated God, are a people who do not have it within ourselves to turn to God and to rise to his standard of holy perfection. So God intervenes. God takes on flesh. God becomes a man, and God meets his own standard for us in the holiness of Jesus Christ. The living Son of God does what you and I cannot do by truly loving the Father and fulfilling his demand for holiness. But he also does something none of us want to do. He satisfies the Father's wrath and justice. He, the God-man, Jesus, substitutes himself he represents us, taking on our sin, our wickedness, and our evil. And he endures the death that we deserve. The Lord Jesus was executed on your behalf on a Friday. But on that following Sunday, the very reason that we gather here each Sunday, Jesus rose out of his grave and he appeared to many over the next 40 days, proving that he is the one that he says he is. He is the Son, the second person of the triune Godhead, holy in every way, perfect in every way, and possessing power over life and death. He has fulfilled the Father's holiness and justice. Brothers and sisters, visitors, repent, reject sin, believe this, and be saved. Believe this and have hope. The good news is that there's more good news. You see, we have a tendency to give part of the gospel, but we forget about the most exciting parts. Jesus is coming back. Again, verse 14, For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. Verse 15, For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with him in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will be always with the Lord. Not only is he coming back, but we'll see those fellow, fellow believers who have died before us. This is why Paul tells us that we don't have to grieve like others do. Sure, we, we do grieve, we do mourn, but not the way the world does because we know where the believer's soul is and we know that Christ is coming back. And on that day, the scriptures say that the dead in Christ will rise first. Who do you look forward to seeing again that will rise first? Imagine this, Christ descending on earth, not quietly or secretly, but with an authoritative shout, a command, the voice of an archangel, and the sound of the trumpet of God. This will be the most exciting day that the world has ever known. Of course, for those who remain in their denial and rejection, this day will be terrifying. But for the believer, imagine after the dead in Christ rise, we will be caught up with them in the air alongside them, finally seeing Jesus, joining him, 
reuniting with those who have gone before us, knowing that this is it. This is the moment that all believers anticipate. Books are written about this. Movies are produced about this. Songs are sang all over the world about this day. And it's finally here. You're going home. Home, you'll be with the Lord forever. No more pain, no more shame. The struggle ends and the glory begins. Home, Jesus is coming back to take us home. So what do I hope for? Hope for that. What do I live for? Live for that. But so what if I don't? What if I don't believe? I don't expect, I don't hope Jesus Christ and his imminent return. Why should I hope? Well, relief. You see, there's no relief for those who have no hope. Our text implies that that you will grieve as others do. And you will have that watered down sense of hope that the world defines for you. The kind of hope that depends on your strength and your strength alone. And I promise you, my friend, your strength will fail you. You may be fortunate enough to have lived a life thus far without much challenge or without pain, but the day is coming where you'll experience such difficulty that you'll be rocked to your core and your strength will fail you. And the things that you find comfort in, they'll fail you. And you'll be alone with your grief and the hopelessness that comes with it. But that's only part of it. Why should I hope? It's the same answer as before. Jesus is coming back. But for the unbeliever, the one scoffing why, why should I believe all this stuff? Notice that our text <coughs> says nothing for you. There is no savior, no reunion, no glory, no relief. If you seek relief in this life for the one to come, then look to Christ and Christ alone because he is your only hope. For those of us that have been moved or are being moved to follow Jesus Christ, look at what we find in verse 18. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Encouragement, it's the result of hope. Now, I'm kind of worried when I say that that it might wind up like one of those slides we looked at earlier. Encouragement is the result of hope. And so we can keep it from doing that. Let's look a little further. Let's think together about uh, what exactly this means. For encouragement to take place, there's this underlying assumption that we are open and sharing our lives with one another. Do you see that there, this encouragement? How can you encourage if you're not known? Let's read verse 18 again. Encourage one another. So that's the assumption, that you're living your life in such a way that your brothers and sisters know what's up with you. They know about the loss that you're dealing with. They know about the struggle in your relationship. And they know about the sin, maybe even the sin that you keep hidden and protected and don't want to give up. How can you be encouraged when the family of God has no idea what's going on with you? Well, how do I do that? How do I share my life? How do I open up? There are several ways. One is the connection card. 
and you probably thought that was just for taking attendance or connecting with visitors, and that's not, that's not all it's for. I mean, it, it does do those things, but the connection card is a direct line to the leadership of this church. It's a way to stay connected and to tell people, here's what I'm at war with. You know, maybe you don't feel ready to tell everyone sitting on your pew. That's fine. Use your connection card. Let the leadership of the church pray for you to ask the ruler, the creator of the universe, to intercede on your behalf. This is a way for you to say, this is what I'm facing. Help me. Here's another. How about small group? Small groups where the, is the place in life where community happens. Some might say, I don't need community. All I need is my Bible and me and a tree to sit under. And you are so wrong. How can you live out the commandments of Scripture? How can you minister to one another? How can you love one another? How can you encourage one another when you have no one another? Reject this temptation to refuse what's available to you. Join a small group today. Stop missing out on the encouragement that you could receive. And more importantly, the encouragement that you could provide. Finally, and, uh, and I do want to end with this verse, 18, encourage one another with these words. The words of God are more available to us now than they ever have been in the history of humanity. We have afforded printable Bibles, printed Bibles that are available to us. I mean, you can even buy them at like HEB, Walmart, and some gas stations. We even invite you to take one of our copies home. If you have a, a blue Bible in your hand today, that's free to you. If you want to take that home, take it home. Write all over it. Draw pictures in it. Do that, do that even in the one you buy. It's not just that one. Um, you can download a Bible on your computer. You can search the scriptures on your cell phone. Maybe you say, I don't have time. There are audio Bibles that you can listen to on your way to work or to the store or even on your way to your very first small group meeting. See what I did there? Um, encourage one another with these words. This assumes a life in community. It assumes a life in the Bible, and it assumes a life that invites and understands that true hope is found only through Christ Jesus. If you want relief in this world, if you want peace in this world, then look to hope in Christ. The answers to the really important questions you have about life are found only in the hope of Christ. So remember, what you hope for shapes what you live for. Let's pray.